0: The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the Donate button on the website or in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CANDIDFRAME at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. This is Ibadi X, and this is The Candid Frame. And if you're listening to this episode on the week of October 3rd, 2015, I'll be in Seattle, Washington at PICS 2015, a photo event being held at the Seattle Center. Photographers including Joe McNally, Rick Salmon, Bobby Lane, and many others will be doing presentations. You'll also have the opportunity to get your hands on some of the latest and best photographic tech. You can find out more by visiting PIX2015.com. That's P-I-X 2015.com. And on October 10th, I'll be leading a street photography workshop here in Los Angeles through the Los Angeles Center of Photography, formerly the Julia Dean Photographic Workshops. Now, I love doing it because it provides me the opportunity to take you through the streets of Los Angeles and show you exactly how I see and make my photographs. You'll discover how to see light, prepare your camera settings, and anticipate a moment. And we'll also have a chance to critique your work, which is often the best part of a workshop. Register today by visiting JuliaDean.com. YouTube has become one of the best learning resources that the world has ever known. Yes, there are endless videos about celebrities, cute babies, cats, cats, and more cats, but what makes YouTube so valuable is that if I'm stumped about how to do something, I can usually type in that problem in the search field and someone provides me a solution. Often a 13 year old kid, but that's what's awesome about it, especially when it comes to photography. But if you want to learn or understand something about a camera or photo software, or you just want to see how somebody else does what they do, there's a video for it. And it's made not by some paid professional, but but rather someone who just has a passion for what they do. Today's guest, Take, who is known as Big Head Taco on YouTube and Instagram. Is one of those YouTubers who strikes the perfect balance of content and personality. He talks about gear, but he's also talking about ensuring photography. And he does this all with a personality that's sincere, honest, and completely engaging. I've stopped watching a lot of photo-centric videos, but his channel and Ted Forbes's The Art of Photography are two shows that I eagerly anticipate each week. Just like I did almost 10 years ago, Take is creating the kind of content that he wanted to see and hear. And now all of us can experience and enjoy it. I really enjoy your YouTube channel. There are a lot of, there are, there's no shortage of YouTube videos that talk about equipment and most of them are pretty, pretty boring. And then there are other ones that are pretty popular, but it seems like it's more of a force of personality than it is informative. And I think you you strike a really nice balance between providing some really valuable information, not just about the camera equipment, but about photography. But you also have a really engaging and enthusiastic personality that I really enjoy. So I just want to give you a compliment to start off of uh, that well thank you very much I uh, appreciate that but what what spurred you to take your enjoyment of photography and uh, branch out into this you know new medium of of, of youtube what what started that
1: uh, i man it's a it's a very long story, but in terms of just the YouTube part of it uh, I could not find the content that I was looking for mm. I wanted to find a Channel that either like like you had mentioned, some are just camera nerds, but they're just mediocre photographers, and others maybe they're great photographers, but they're not great instructors, or maybe they're great photographers, and they' just they're just invisible on social media so you know, try to find an interview with Steve McCurry or Bill Cunningham. There was that recent documentary on him, but other than that, I, I think he does like a weekly podcast or a show, but it's not photo based, mm-hmm. and so I was trying to find a photographer who was also a camera nerd, who also had kind of a personality and was kind of goofy. And I would say Kai Man Wong from uh, Digital Rev in Hong Kong is reasonably close to what I was looking for because. As much as he goofs around, his picture's are actually pretty good. I'm like, wow, that's that's actually a pretty good picture. But he doesn't really talk much about his photo process or how he takes pictures. It's it's very entertaining to watch, as mm-hmm. you'd mentioned. But uh, for myself shooting for about twenty years, sort of sort of semi-professionally, I wanted a little bit more. And so, you know, I I I watched the Steve Huffs and the, the camera store. And I love all of them. I follow all of them and I and I watch them, but I kinda wanted Everything in one show, yeah. you know, and and, and it it kind of didn't exist. So many of my colleagues said, "Why don't you just start your own show?" And I thought, hmm, it's, I've always been behind the camera. I don't like my picture being taken. Mm-hmm. I look very awkward, and so I thought, I don't know how I would react in front of a camera. So he, uh, my producer David, said, "Put a camera in front of yourself, like a selfie." and Just do some test rules. And I think there is one video on my channel. It may be hidden, meaning it's unlisted. But if you can find it, it's basically my first video. I'm walking, like selfie mode. Mm -hmm. And he just said, just test to see how you do behind the camera. And that's kind of where I started from there. Then I just thought, okay, what
0: do I want to see? And I just started producing content. That's great. That's, That's pretty much the same thing that spurred me to start the podcast. I was listening to all these podcasts about photography and I wasn't hearing the kind of show that I wanted to hear so I made it. That's and, awesome. And you know, just like you I had to kind of learn uh, learn my way around things and kind of figure yes. it out and and in this case get past the sound of my own voice which everyone <laughs> compliments me on but it was really kind of strange to get used you to hearing You have an awesome yourself? voice. Thanks.
1: I like I like your voice. It's very
0: cool. But you you have um, uh, you have seem to be having so much fun Which I think really comes Really comes across uh, what, what was one of the hardest things To get used to when you started re- Producing the content Because a couple of weeks ago I tried filming myself off of my camera You yes. know, just to, just to see how it would work It, it was so awkward um, yes. Looking into this thing And acting as if I'm talking to someone And yes. it, it's one thing when I'm talking into a mic You know, because I can Sometimes I'll just close my eyes and I'll just talk. But when you're having to look into a lens, it was very, very strange. Was was that kind of difficult for you to get used to? Well, other you know, even when I did that selfie video, I did it on my Ricoh
1: GR, and a lot of my videos are done on that. And you can't see yourself; it doesn't have a articulating flip-out screen. Mm-hmm. And so, even and that's kind of the things is. I did not want to. I mean, there's the Casey Neistat's and the and the I Justine's on YouTube. They're just huge vlogger stars where they do do that selfie thing. Mm-hmm. I, you're right. I I can't. I still struggle with that. I don't like, even when I use my iPhone, I'm, I, I have the new iPhone 6S and it has 4K video. So I thought I would test it on an upcoming project, but I'm always shooting it with the screen facing away from me so I can't see myself. Yeah, I'll frame it perfectly. And maybe if I have either a, a, put a chair or have someone stand in front of it and I can frame it right. And then I go back and I say, okay, fine, I'm, I'm, I'm fine myself. I don't like staring. It is unusual. And that's why when I first started off, so other than that one selfie video, I've always had either my wife, who is camera girl, or I have my producer who does the, uh, the cinematography, the video work for me. I like the chemistry of having a human being. So when I'm talking to the audience, I'm actually talking to my camera person. So when it's yeah. a camera girl, you might see a, a glint of love or fear in my eyes because she's either <laughs> making a face because she's like, don't say that or don't do that. Or, or you're, <laughs> she gives me the 10, 15 minute mark going, you're going way over time. Because she always asks me, how long do you think this video should be? I'll be like 10 minutes. I'll give you a sign when you're 10. And so, um, and then with my producer, same thing, I may say something and he, you know, I know now that he just edits out later. If I say something that he's thinking, ah, that's not, you shouldn't say that or, or something like that. But, uh, yeah, having another human being. And that's one of the things I also noticed of certain shows is when people are, and that's why I like your show. It's not just you talking, it's you have a guest and there's an energy between two people. Even though the camera person, the videographer, the cinematographer, even though they're not speaking, I truly believe in, in energy between two people. Just like as a photographer, some people think, well, oh, you just point and shoot. Mm-hmm. But there is, when I shot weddings and and things like that, you know, you almost feel connection to your subject when you're taking the picture, even if you don't speak with them. And likewise, with the videographer... I do feel a connection with the person that's shooting me, and maybe that's what you're sensing, that I'm talking to my camera person, and it feels more natural for me.
0: It seems like when you're, when you're talking about it, you, you know, your enthusiasm for gear really comes across, but it seems like you're really um, trying to encourage people in, in your videos, especially to go out and just shoot, because that's one of the things that I think, I, why I really, I really like your show. Because there's so many people who will sit at a desk and will show all the cameras features and whistles, but you never see them shooting. And I know that it's a a little bit of a challenge production-wise to make that happen, but that's why I like your show, is that you'll talk about the equipment, but then I'll get to see you out there making photographs.
1: And get get to see the
0: photographs, which is important.
1: Yes. uh, I mean, when I first started, it wasn't like that because it was, like, as you mentioned, it was still a very new... Genre for me, and I was getting used to it, and I didn't even know how to make cuts and splice together. Like, I had no idea. I just that's why my early videos it was just one take. Mm-hmm. And that's where my producer, at first, when he jumped on board, he said, Wow, I can't believe you can talk for 12 minutes, no cuts. You know, you have oh, your yeah. a few word whiskers, um, ahs, but other than that, he said, I can't believe you didn't cut anything. How could you have? You don't even use notes. But um, after a while, I wanted. People were asking, like, how do you shoot? Um, can I see some of your pictures? And I say, okay, well, go to my blog. I've, I've linked it. But then I realized even myself when I watch some YouTubers, and they say, check out my blog, I rarely check it out. Yeah. I like just to quickly see the picture. And if I'm really interested, especially if it's a lens or a camera I really want to buy, I will check out the blog and physically look at the pictures and pixel peep and do that kind of thing. But in general, people do kind of want to see the results of what you're doing. And that's where I realized uh, my wife, camera girl, she didn't want to be running around chasing after me. The Rico GR doesn't have a microphone input. I didn't want to spend money on a wireless system. So that's where having the producer come on board right at the right time where I really felt I want to show people how I take pictures. I want to show people how to approach people. Cause one of the, I know you've written a few uh, books and talked a lot about how do you approach strangers on the street? And I think that's what, especially on my Instagram feed, people wonder, well, how do you, how do you get people to post for you? How do you get these stories? How do you approach people? And I really wanted to teach that it's not that hard. It's, it's a lot easier because, you know, one of the things about photography I find is that people think creepy crawly about street photographers, that we were like paparazzi. And I even wrote an article on my blog about the, diff- the difference between street photographers and paparazzi. And in countries like France, they're struggling with laws about how to limit mm-hmm. photography on the street, shooting strangers. And In a way, when too many of our pictures are taken without permission and without meeting people, I feel that it does a bit of a disservice to photography. So the more of us that learn how to approach and engage the people we take pictures of, I mean, I'd I'd say still 30 to 40% of my pictures are taken without permission. But I try to do it in a way that's not too across the street. Now, I'd like to use wide angle, but a lot of my pictures, I approach people and I talk to them and engage with them. And, you know, of the few years I've been doing this, I could think of maybe six people who said no. Of the six, after speaking with them, two of them said yes. And only one picture I had to take down because the person later said, you know what? I don't like the picture of myself. Do you mind removing? And I said, you know what? People come first before my picture. So if anyone asks me to review remove any picture I've ever posted
0: anywhere, I'll always remove it. Because yeah. to me, people are the most important thing. Well, your brother uh, uh, planted the, the the seed or the spark that got you into photography. You said that as a kid you took pictures, but it wasn't until your brother came back from Japan uh, with a couple of cameras and some information that really uh, inspired you to pick up a camera seriously. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, he
1: was on there on a on a, uh, a year scholarship. He met uh, uh, my brother, Yuki. And he actually, to me, he is the better photographer. He is the better musician. He is the better singer. I just find that I'm more persistent. And I just nerd out and I don't give up. And so anyways, he came back from Japan. He met a, a Korean uh, student of was studying in, in Okinawa. That's where I'm from in Japan, southern Japan. And he... He, Naki introduced my brother Yuki to photography. Now, Naki, I have to talk a little bit about him before I talk about my brother, but he was a PhD candidate studying um, marine biology in Okinawa. Okinawa was famous for it, this uh, marine biology courses there. And, but he always loved photography. And the funny thing he did was in his last year of his PhD, he quit. He sold his business in Korea married his fiance, moved to San Diego, and applied at I forgot what college it was. He applied for his Masters of Fine Arts. He gave up his PhD to pursue his photography. Wow. Now this is all after. This is all yeah. after, but but while I was there, his passion was infectious and it infected it affected my brother. He came back just wide eyed and just I was just like, why do you need two bodies? He's like, oh, sometimes <laughs> you know, sometimes you need slide in one. This is the old film days. Yeah. You have slide in one and you have color in it, or you have black and white in the other one or this is ISO 800 and this is ISO 100. And he's explained to me, I said, well, why do you need these two lenses? Well, you know, this is a prime. Why do you need a prime? It was a 24 mil 2.8. Mm-hmm. He said, look through it. And I said, wow, that's cool. Now look through this lens at 50 mil. I'm like, wow, that's so different. So as he explained to me, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And I was on my last year at uh, uh, at SFU, my university here. And I wanted to be a university professor. I was studying English Lit, I was studying linguistics, education. But at that moment, I said, I think I want to be a photographer. So I graduated as, as quickly as possible. And I ended up working at Kodak in the warehouse because I had absolutely no connection to photography. But I just knew I wanted to be close to that industry. So that was the closest job I could find out of university. So, yeah, my brother was uh, was a very huge. And then during that time, we both were doing freelance work. You know, the, I think we all started off doing weddings of yeah. uh, family and friends. And then we started getting other gigs. And he really was my mentor. And then later on, he was my shooting partner. And we kind of went our own ways after a while. Because he was a patient photographer. He loved shooting with tripods. He would sit there and set up for 20 minutes as the sun is setting. I'd take three shots. I'm like, what's next? So I think street photography was very natural for me. I, I don't like tripods. I like shooting very quickly and then moving on where he was very patient. So when I look at my brother's pictures, I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Postcard, stock photography level pictures. But I'm just like, eh, this is not my style. I want I don't mind if the image is blurry. I don't mind if if the horizon is not perfectly straight. I don't care if I use my smartphone or medium format. It doesn't matter what I use. I keep on shooting. But, but Naki and Yuki, uh, those two are my, my mentors that really got me into photography at first.
0: So you said you were born in Okinawa. Uh, tell me about uh, growing up. Did you live in Japan for a certain period well, when time? Four,
1: I was four years old when I came here. Okay. So, so but I've gone you, back quite a few times.
0: All right. So your, your, your parents immigrated here. What's, what, what's their story? What, what led them to move here?
1: my father comes from a, I guess you could say like an aristocracy, like, you know, like we were the landowner class in Japan and my family has a family crest and blah, 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 things like that. And it was understood that all of my father, his cousins, siblings, like, you know, I have an uncle in Germany, another one moved to United States, someone to South America. Once you graduate university, you know, Okinawa is a very small island. I call it the the Newfoundland of of Japan. You know, like it's an island isolated from the rest of the country, and the rest of the country kind of makes fun of you. So in, in Japan, Okinawa, we're down south. Mainlanders often tease us, saying you're not you're not really Japanese, and we, we were a, a, definitely a different culture. But uh, the world is very large, and my my father, my father's my grandfather, uh, like many Okinawans, they passed away during the war, so I, I never had a grandfather. But his uncles pretty much raised him, and they all basically expected him, once he graduated university, you don't stay here. You move abroad. And so he decided to – he actually had a scholarship to study at Kansas University, or he could move to Vancouver. And he he didn't take the scholarship, and he ended up moving to Vancouver because one of his uncles lived here. Mm. And by that time, there were three of us when we moved to Canada.
0: Oh, okay. So it was you, your brother –
1: well, there's, there's, there's five of us, okay. uh, four, four boys and a, and a girl, and I'm number two
0: from the top. Oh, wow. Uh, growing up in Vancouver, that must have been kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, Vancouver, you know, Vancouver's, I don't know how to explain it. Because my parents moved here, I've always had itchy feet, like, I should also do the same thing. You know, mm. Vancouver is small. It's big enough to be big, but still small enough. To, like you go to a city like New York, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Paris, London, you realize, wow, Vancouver is a small city. It's not very big. But for someone from the country, I mean, Vancouver is big enough. I think people know of Vancouver from, I don't know, what do you know of Vancouver? What do we known for? We had the Olympics recently, but I mean, you know, we're a big enough city, but I always felt it's too small. And so even when I got into my photography, I felt I gotta move to New York. I have to move to London. Uh, my wife has relatives in London. Her best friend lived in Paris. Uh, my father keeps a place in Tokyo. My, my youngest brother lives in Osaka. Her mom lives in Hong Kong. I have relatives in like, we could move literally anywhere in the world almost and have a place. Uh, my uncle in Germany. My wife said, no, I, I, I like Vancouver. I, I don't want to move anywhere. I said, let's take a year sabbatical and go summer. She's like, no, I, I, we'll take vacation. But no, Vancouver is my home base. And for a while, photographically, I was a bit depressed thinking, wow, I'm going to be a photographer based out of Vancouver. Not New York, not London, not Paris, not Tokyo. And then I realized how much I love Vancouver. So it actually took me to travel around and take pictures in other countries. And then when you come back, you know, you kind of get a bit homesick. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, you know what, there's a charm to my city that I didn't. See before. Yeah. So on my Instagram feed, you'll notice I spent a lot of time in Chinatown because to me, that um, Chinatown and Strathcona, and that's where Fred Herzog took a lot of his pictures. One of my
0: favorite photographers. Yeah.
1: Yes. And so I, I've already picked who I'm going to pick to recommend at the end of the show. But anyways, <laughs> you can almost guess who you're going to pick. But yes. And then I discovered Fred because someone had mentioned to me on, on my Instagram feed, I, I knew of him, I saw some of his pictures, but someone had said, Your pictures remind me of Fred Herzog. And I thought, hmm. So when I started looking at his pictures, I'm like, hey, I took a picture there. Hey, I know that corner. I can't believe that building is still colored that same color. So I started on this journey of almost pretending to be Fred, but the modern day Fred. And like Fred, he was using an unusual medium, uh, cortochrome. And it was color at a time where most serious street photographers were shooting black and white. So I thought, hmm, he had a little bit of a niche that took 30, 40 years for people to catch on to. Mm-hmm. So I thought, what can I do to stand out? And I thought, well, I'll just use my smartphone. So on my Instagram, but 90, 95% of my pictures are only taken with an iPhone. And I thought that that would add a bit of uh, uniqueness to my pictures, as well as showcasing my city. So that's kind of what my Instagram and my YouTube has evolved. If you notice my guests, I'm inviting local guests right. from in town. yeah. And I also introduce where I am in the city. So I'll say, I'm, I'm, I'm here in Railtown District. I'm here in Chinatown. I'm here in the store. Because I want people to see the people that I invite, as well as the areas. It's almost like characters. So when they visit Vancouver, they said, hey, Big Head Taco is always in Revolver Coffee. Or, hey, he's always hanging out in Railtown. Or he's always on the street in Chinatown. I want people to go and check out these places. Sort of like what Fred did for me. And uh, really showcase my city. Yeah.
0: One of the things you you, uh, told me about was, uh, you know, you were at Kodak, you had the opportunity to be sort of immersed in the photo industry and meet a lot of other photographers, but at some point, uh, you got burnt out, and you put all the cameras away, and you just thought you weren't going to be shooting anymore, and that changed. Tell me about that moment in your photographic life, because I experienced that, and it's not something that I hear other people talk about very often, and I'm really curious to hear... Uh, your version of, of, of those events? Of the burnout? Yeah, the <laughs> burnout and, and how you chose to get out of it.
1: Yeah, the burnout, you know, as a camera nerd, as you could probably tell from my videos, uh, after a shoot where I shot for myself, I would go home, I would clean the lenses and I would, you know, kind of spread everything out on my on my dining room table or on the living room table and kind of look at the cameras and really just admire it and And back in the film days, you couldn't see the pictures right away. So you had to almost imagine what you shot and you couldn't see what you shot. But when I did, when I I used to shoot for BC Lions, which is the pro football league up in Canada or the CFL. After a football game, eventually I would just throw the camera in the closet. I didn't want to look at the equipment for a few days. And after a wedding, same thing. I would shoot, come home, throw it in a corner. Even my wife kind of noticed like, hmm. He's not nerding out after when he did weddings. Mm -hmm. He's not nerding out after he shot football and also working for Kodak. I realized um, I could be working for a toilet paper company in the end. It's still, I mean, I, I love working for Kodak, but it's still a corporation. It needs to make money. So the benefits of working there was I got to know all the local pro labs. I got to meet a lot of the pro photographers, but the work itself was, it's just corporate work and, I realized that I didn't need to work for Kodak to be part of the photo industry. That's, that was probably my first mistake thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, like right now I want to be a photographer. I want to work for Magnum. That'll make me a real photographer. I think that's, I don't, you know, look at Fred Herzog. He worked for the local university in a medical lab, I think. And on the weekends he went and take pictures. I mean, that's true passion. Nothing was forcing him to take the pictures. And so I did start to change my view of photography, meaning, and One of the things I, I, I met wonderful photographers at Kodak that were like one of my favorite, I forgot his name now, but he was an airline pilot. And he was always buying slide film. And one day I said, why are you buying slide? And he said, well, he pulled out, uh, out of his bag pictures of airplanes. And he said, you know, there's this world of airplane photographers. We travel the world. We take pictures of airplanes. At different stages, like a brand new 747 before it's painted, you know, before, mm-hmm. before American Airlines takes possession, before it's painted, and at a certain airport. So the Kai-Chek Airport, I think, in Hong Kong, the old airport where they had to fly between mountains and through the city. It's a famous airport. It was built into the um, flight simulators because it was so dangerous that you could, planes were sliding off the runway if you didn't land it correctly. Mm -hmm. And he said, you can hang out a window in Hong Kong and take a picture of an airplane. You just see like it flying between buildings. But anyways, you take these rare, unique pictures of both the airplane and the environment and you trade them like baseball cards. So Mm -hmm. this is before digital, right? So you have this one picture of this one plane in this one airport and he says, I'm lucky I'm an airline pilot and my wife is a stewardess. So we travel the world and I get access to airports and places that nobody else does. And we trade on online forums and we trade these pictures like trading cards. And I saw his pictures and one of them, he was mounting himself and he just showed me like a, like a contact sheet. But it's not a contact sheet because it's, 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 it's slides yeah. and every picture was perfect. And I said, wow. I said, you didn't miss a single shot. He said, no, of course not. It's too expensive to miss a shot. Mm -hmm. Then I seen some pro photographers. They'd shoot a thousand pictures and maybe have 50 good pictures. So one guy's a pro and he's misfocusing, exposure's wrong, and he expects the lab to fix everything, right? Mm -hmm. And you have these amateurs and I met some of these amateurs, fantastic photographers, better than most pros that I've come across at that Mm -hmm. time. Because they were so, and, and you know, it's funny, he said to me, you think us plane guys are bad? You should meet the train guys. The train oh. guys have been doing this for a 100 years. These guys, they talk about steam. They talk about the Japanese bullet trains because these guys are crazier than the plane guys. Mm-hmm. And so I you know, I, I started looking at these, these little niche groups of photographers, uh, amateurs, and they had so much passion and they weren't in the industry. So then I thought, you know what? Why do I need to moonlight as a wedding photographer, portrait photographer, shooting sports, and being told what to take. So, you know, like, hey, here's cheerleaders, run out and take a picture, have halftime. Here, take a picture of this Mm -hmm. with a mascot. And I got really tired of doing that. So I quit Kodak, I bumped up my prices double, just so I wouldn't get any of the jobs. Cause I thought, you know what, if someone's willing to pay this much for what I do, then go ahead. But luckily most people thought, wow, you're not that good. I'm not paying that much money. So perfect, I didn't (laughs) want to take that job anyways. And I still took pictures for myself, but professionally I stopped. And since then, uh, in general, I have taken on some commercial work, but more as an experimentation of what I'm doing, which is iPhone photography. So I've done iPhone photography commercial shoots, mm. which seems unusual. But other, and for, to me, it's not the money. I just thought, hey, I'm going to shoot this job for 500 where everyone else is quoting 8,000. And let's see what kind of, how quickly I can shoot the shoot, how quickly I can output the images, and then how happy the customers will be. And so other than that, I stopped shooting commercially. I thought I want to be in the industry, but I don't want to be a photographer in terms of being paid for the pictures I take. So I started reinventing myself. And it's been like 10 years since I've been trying to reinvent myself. And this is kind of in progress my instagram my youtube uh you're seeing it right now this is how i'm reinterpreting myself as a photographer
0: and instagram played a big role in you being able to sort of re-inject yourself with with photography
1: yes um because my instagram kind of worked against my blog which i'll so i review for uh right now i have a good relationship with leica north america Fujifilm Canada, Rico Imaging Canada. And as well, I know most of the camera shops in town here. So whenever I want to borrow anything, they'll, they'll, they'll loan it to me. But some of the local photographers would tease me because I would have a like a M with a Noctilux around my neck. And then I'm chasing someone to take a portrait. I'm using my iPhone. And they'd be <laughs> like, why, why are you using your iPhone? Because I said, no, no, because they're different pictures. I try and explain to them, yeah. this is for a review. So I'll take review like pictures. But for my Instagram, I want to post this in five minutes and show people like, look how quickly you can use. So uh, I have, I I love Leica, I love Fujifilm, but I also love smartphone photography because how quickly you can take a picture and how quickly you can share, and also how disarming it is for people. You know, when you I had uh, one of my videos when I was with Eric Kim on the streets of Vancouver, one right in the beginning. There's this girl that I use my iPhone as said, kind of take your picture. She said, sure. And then when I picked up my real, you know, my real camera, she said, no, 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 no. And then just before that, I actually explained to her why. She even said to me, what are you using your iPhone for? Why aren't you using your real camera? And then when I actually physically did it for her, she kind of understood. She said, yeah, you're right. It's a little bit scary when someone puts a big lens in front of your face. Mm-hmm. So I actually find people are more like people think I'm a tourist when I have my iPhone. So yeah. I rarely have anyone not pose for me they think ah oh, and especially when they see a real camera around my, around my neck they think oh yeah he's a photographer but since he's just using a smartphone clearly this isn't a professional picture I'll have fun with it and they'll smile and pose but as soon as I pick up my real camera you get the nose you know like oh, no, no 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 you know don't take a picture of me or they start ducking cuz they think you're an architectural picture of a building, but with an iPhone, people walk past you; they ignore you. So I, I like being invisible with my with my smartphone, and and that's what Instagram has allowed me to do is to take pictures that I think would not be possible with a regular camera. Yeah, I mean, I do have you know, I ha- I do have a personal account where I do follow my family, I do follow my wife because I'm not a <laughs> jerk, right? But I but I check that out every. Three or four or five days. You know, like I don't yeah. go into it every day because my family and friends aren't prolific. They're not taking that many pictures. And if they do, it's like a string of eight pictures of the baby or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I like all of them, right? Because I'm thinking, yeah, this is the picture isn't great, but hey, this is my nephew. Of course, I'm gonna like the picture. But on my feed, people actually do creepy crawl and think, hey, I like Ibarian X. I wonder who he's following. They look and so, say, Oh, these are his influencers, yeah. and then they can even see who you've liked recently, right? So even when you like, I'm very selective. Saying I tell my friends that I do follow. Saying if I don't like it, I said I'm very democratic. If your account is not inspiring me, I will unfollow you and move you into my personal account. I'll follow you on my personal account, but not on my main account. So I have demoted some of my friends that are photographers and say, Hey, sorry, you can demote me if if you don't like me doing that. But I'm I don't care who you are. And when I say I don't follow my wife, I don't follow my siblings. Mm-hmm. It makes them realize, okay, Tak is serious. Like he's not it's true if he's not inspired by my pictures he's just not gonna follow me anymore yeah so yeah to me under when i hit 50 and i try to i look through and i say who hasn't really moved and some people i put them back on again after six months i just check them out again and think yeah. wow they've changed their style i'm bringing them back on but guess what someone
0: has to come off right <laughs> that's good that's good I recently got one of these large smartphones, some people call it a a phablet. It's somewhere between a standard phone and a tablet, so it has this really big screen, but it's small enough that I can hold it relatively comfortably in one hand. I didn't think I'd like it until I started looking at photographs and and websites, and and the look is, is incredible. Now I regularly browse the internet and discover new photographic content that I often share on Twitter or Facebook. And every once in a while, I'll discover the work of a photographer, and then I'll make a beeline for their website. And it's amazing how good those sites and images can look on this thing. But unfortunately, some of these photographers' websites have not been updated in a really long time. They're not ready for this new experience where the website is being looked at from a device that literally fits in the palm of your hand. Squarespace has it covered, though, because their websites recognize the kind of device you're using when viewing a website and will automatically optimize the website for a computer, a phone, or a tablet. You don't have to create three versions of a site. Just one. Squarespace does the rest, and the results are great. You you really should create a site today and see how wonderfully your work can look. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Build it beautiful. You're walking in familiar circles in, in Vancouver, so you're revisiting places over and over again. And that provides you, from what I've glimpsed in some of your videos, is to get to know people in the communities. And how does that help you in terms of making photographs?
1: Yes. I, And that goes all the way back to my idea of being bored of Vancouver and thinking, oh, Vancouver is not a great city. And then I realized that, you know what? Fred Herzog shot the same streets for 20, 30 years. And you can see the evolution. You know, you can even see it in the cars. You think, oh, this is in the 50s. Oh, this is in the 60s. I realize that, well, first of all, in terms of, it's not, it's like someone needing a new lens because it's on oh, board with photography. I think I need a new lens. Then I'll take better pictures. No, no, no. It's not the lens. It's you. The lens might reinvigorate you because you see the world a little bit differently or just it's a placebo effect, right? You think, oh, wow, I have the Noctilux instead of the Summicron. I, I, you know, look at the bouquet on this. I'm going to take better. But even your city thinking, oh, well, I don't take good pictures because I'm, I'm in a small town. Or my pictures aren't good because, uh, you know, uh, I live in New York. There's too many other photographers. You know, like, I don't think it's a city. It's you. So I realized, first of all, walking the same streets, it was a challenge to take a picture of the same street and make it look like a different street every time. But also, yes, building community. I realized from the start, I wanted to be the type of photographer that didn't have to steal pictures because everyone in the community knew who I was. Hmm. People think I live in Chinatown. They don't realize. I live in the suburbs in Burnaby, which I am only five minutes out of Vancouver and about 10 minutes out of Chinatown. But um, people think I'm a local. People say, oh, where do you live? Where do you work? I said, oh, I, I live in Burnaby. So, oh, you're always here. And after a while, you know, the thing is when people take a picture without asking permission, what do you like to call that?
0: I don't like saying stealing a picture, but... I, um, you know, I don't even put a name to it. It's just for me. It's just what I do. I mean, most yeah, yeah of, exactly. most, most of the time, I just make, I just make, you know, pictures, and and then probably twenty, thirty percent of the time, I'll, 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 I'll ask someone to pose for me. So. I, I love
1: the ones, you know, the guy could weight, lifting the weights, mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: the, the weightlifter. Did, did he, obviously he knew you were taking that picture? Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Fantastic. Oh, uh, anybody next? I would, I'd say you are a great photographer. I think you can tell the personality of the person, like Mary Allen Mark, you can tell when a person is intimate with their subject, even if it's for a minute, can you become someone's friend within a minute? Like how can yeah. someone like you that fast? Uh, it takes skill and you need to develop that skill. One of the things I tell people is practice at, at a till. When you're going through a till, can you make the cashier smile? You know, one minute. Conversation. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about the weather. Say something like, "Hey, when did you shift start?" Oh, I just started ten minutes ago. Oh man, when do you finish? At twelve. Oh, oh well, you know, hang in there, and you know, you make, you make them smile. Practice your personality on people. Forget photography. Practice your personality on people, and after a while, you'll get better at talking with people. So that when you look at my YouTube videos, people think, "Oh wow, how how did he stage this?" Did someone? No, I did I don't stage any of my my videos i literally do come up to complete strangers and think to myself i have 10 seconds to make this guy like me and and so when you but you when you are in the same area you know where the light lands so i know at what time of day what time of year where the light is perfect but on top of that i know the businesses and the people and when you do that sometimes i go in and i just touch base with a lot of the businesses i don't even take pictures i walk and say hey, how's it going Uh, local bike shop or local motorcycle shop. I say, how's it going? And they'll say something like, hey, did you see that new burner, that just graffiti art that just went up around the corner? I said, no, I didn't see it. Or, hey, do you know there's a a bike festival coming up this weekend? I said, oh, I I didn't know that. And so you're in touch with the people in your community. I, I call it my community, but it is Chinatown, Strathcona, Gastown, Downtown Eastside. And after a while, even the locals get used to you. So even some of the uh, the, the street people, they get used to seeing you around and they see you as a friend and, and they'll pose for you. They'll, and that naturalness that people try to do when they take pictures of strangers thinking, well, once I stop them and ask them for permission, then that naturalness is lost because now they're posing. That's true. But you know what? You get that naturalness with your wife, with your kids, with your family. Why? Because they're familiar with you. Over the years, they just get used to you hanging around and take pictures. Now you get that same naturalness, but there's someone that you know and love. Well, same with me. In Chinatown, there's people now that see me so often with a camera to my face that they just ignore me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I ask them, hey, you want to post me? i got a new lens. I'd love to take a picture of you. They, they happily run out into the alley and they post for me. And the fact that the people in the community learn to ignore me, I get that naturalness and yet they still know I'm taking the picture. Yeah. And I, I I love that I can do that.
0: That's great. And I think that if people are looking for the secret of making pictures of people they don't know on the street and uh, how to approach them, I think you really demonstrate that really aptly in several of your videos. And And I tell this to people every time they ask me the question, is have a sincere interest in the person that you're photographing make the person the priority not your photograph. And when yes. you go up to people, I you can hear it in your voice when you're asking someone about something and your enthusiasm for whatever it is that you have found interesting in them, you hear it. And I think that that is very disarming and makes people comfortable. So when you broach the idea of making a photograph of them, um it makes it easier, as opposed to someone just coming up there with a big camera going, gotta take a picture, gotta take a picture you know <laughs> for <laughs> so, sure I'm, I'm for sure you know i'm I wouldn't respond well to that, and it's just just being just being human with with someone else is really all that you you really need, that's right, yeah, I always say
1: people first. And that's why I have a a very, first of all, I'd never, and that's the thing I like about Instagram is most, I think you've seen it on my videos. I usually ask for the email address, or the phone number, whatever they're comfortable with, or I'll give them my business card see. say, please contact me and I will send you the picture. I don't, I don't want to charge for my pictures. And uh, I don't want, I, I love to give the pictures that I take of people to them as well If someone does not like the picture that I post and they ask me to take it down, I will always take it down because people first. And often, some people that I know, it takes them a while. Like sometimes you'll see a picture that I've taken of someone or I've invited them on my channel. Sometimes I've known them for months and not taken a single picture because it's not the right time. Mm. Either the lighting wasn't good, I didn't feel they trusted me enough that I can get the right picture I don't know what it is. It's hard to, it's that X factor. I don't know what it is, but um, there's a the right time to take a picture of someone. And as you get good with people, you start to know. Just like I think a good fashion photographer, there's timing. You meet the model. There's some maybe that bark at models, yeah. but the good ones that I've seen, they're, they're great guys. Kale Friesen, you had him on your show yeah, a while Kale. ago. Awesome. Um, we had a mutual, and that's, actually that's how I met Kale, is through, there's a bike, a motorcycle shop in uh, in Chinatown, called the Shop Vancouver, and the the owner of it is good friends with Kale, and he kept on saying, "Hey, you know, I know a, a buddy of mine. He's an ex photographer for Fuji Film, meaning like not yeah. ex, <laughs> but ex photographer. For those of you who don't follow Fuji Film, but he's an ambassador for for Fuji Film. He's like, you two should meet. He kept on saying that over and over. You two should meet. You two should meet. And so we knew of each other through through our mutual friend. But eventually we met at an event in China. Uh, where do we meet now? Uh, in Chinatown, there was a Fujifilm X. Uh, X uh, the X-T10 was being released. And there was a thing. And then we both met there. And I did an interview of Kale yeah. uh, in, in Chinatown there at Sun yat Gardens. But uh, anyways, Kale is also great. He's great with people. And when you're great with people... And you have that wonderful personality. You can really disarm people. So uh, that's one of the things that really tell pe- uh, photographers what makes a good street photographer. I and mean, there's guys like Fred Herzog that did usually shoot from the hip. He did not engage. Off. I, I, it's funny. There's sightings of Fred. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a side subject. But he's always around in Vancouver. You know he still shoots, eh? Yeah. yeah. There's sightings of Fred everywhere. I have not. I know his friends. I know Horst. He's uh one of those guys that does CLA, he does the uh, clean lube and adjust for the Leica cameras. Mm-hmm. Old German fella, good friends with Fred. I talk to Horse on the phone once in a while just to say hi. I have to I want him on one of my videos. But uh uh I have not bumped into I know Fred's friends in Strathcone, like, oh hey, Fred was just here 10 minutes ago. Which way did he go? I run after I, I just can't. Other friends, they for yeah. as a joke, they would post it, like they would run into Fred. Post a picture of him and then tag me on the Instagram saying, hey, guess who was in my shop? And I'm like, oh, I'm in Burnaby. I, I'm 25 minutes away. And so uh, anyways, uh, there's tons of sightings of Fred. But, you know, Fred shot from the hip. And then that's great. That's the, that's the, his pictures are fantastic. He's definitely one of my uh, – anyways, I'll save it for the end. But he, he's great. But for me, meeting and talking to people, that is, uh, that is a personality that if you work on, you'll see it in your pictures. So you know, you wanna know the man or the the artist, look at their artwork. For street photographer, if you look at the ones that approach people and they talk and they engage, at least I hope, like even with your pictures, I I I think you're a great photographer when it comes to approach. I'm surprised that you said only 20, 30 percent you approach. Yeah. Is that what you said? 20, mm-hmm. 30 around there? Right. You should come to Vancouver, I should come down to you. And we should do some.
0: We should do something. Well, Vancouver's on my on my radar, so is it really? Year. You yeah. have
1: you have to come, but uh, I can tell by your pictures you're great with people. Oh,
0: I enjoy it. It's fun. I can definitely tell just through your pictures. I can tell. Thanks, I appreciate that. Um, you so you as part of your what you're doing with uh, your YouTube channel, you've had the chance to use the Leica and the and the Ricoh GR and the and the Fuji. But you know, we, we've been talking primarily about your photographs with, with the phone. So now that you have like access to these cameras with all these, these features, does it, do you find that it makes any difference at all in terms of the cameras that you choose to use with respect to the kinds of photographs that you make? Um, to a certain degree, some
1: equipment can facilitate certain styles of photography, but I am a strong believer in the emotional, the X factor. For instance, if Cartier Bersant was alive today and he shot with a 5D Mark III, I think he'll still take great pictures. Like we all have this mm-hmm. dream that, all, you know, like Fred Herzog, he's shooting with an Olympus micro four thirds. If you look yeah. through Instagram, you'll see he's not shooting film. Like people have this romantic concept that, oh, he must still have his old M3 or his Roly Flex twin, you know, like no, he shoots. With a mark. So if, if Cartier Bresson was alive today, uh, what would he be shooting with? Maybe he would still be shooting with an old Leica shooting film, but maybe he'll be shooting uh, with, uh, you know, a Phase One, or maybe he'll be shooting with, like, who knows what he'd be shooting with, but whatever he's shooting with, it'll still be Bresson. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I try to tell people is my iPhone and my Ricoh GR are cameras that I personally bought and own. And to me, I take the best pictures with those because I can completely forget about the features and the functions and where. Like I fumble with any new camera, like the Leica Q that I recently uh, tested. I love the 28 mil wide angle uh, lens on there because I shoot the Ricoh GR. I bought the original film Ricoh GR. But people think, oh, well, you know, full frame 28 mil, you must have Caught onto it. No, because the buttons are in the weird places. I find German cameras have a German-esque kind of ergonomics. To me, they're weird, but if you're used to shooting Leica, it's normal. Uh, but for me, it's weird because I, I like the Ricoh and how everything's just by your thumb. You know, everything's on your right hand, right side. And as I review cameras, it's actually a weakness for me in a sense of my photographic skills changing cameras every two three weeks it actually makes me a worse photographer because you have to relearn how to use each mm-hmm. camera and then you're like oh where's the ISO control oh the weight balance is off uh, why is this uh, auto focusing for me I thought I put it in manual focus and you get frustrated and then when you get frustrated it affects your emotions right like any great golfer yeah, you absolutely. think how could he miss that shot you know you do that a hundred times because something distracted his mind Something small, right? So uh, who knows? Tiger Woods is thinking about something else, his kids or something, and all of a sudden he misses the putt. So imagine with a camera that's frustrating you, and all of a sudden now you're trying to do something that's creative. Well, it's going to affect your creativity. So I usually recommend it doesn't really matter what you shoot because I've had people say, oh, Canonets rule, Leica's rule, or film versus digital. It's whatever you're comfortable with, stick with it. Smartphone. stick with it. Mm-hmm. And for me, my iPhone and my Ricoh is just – what I've consistently used for the longest time. And that's why it works good for me. But if I had a DSLR and that's what I use primarily for the street, then that's what I would be saying, Hey, this is what I use. And, and this is why I'm good at it. Not because of the camera itself, but it's my comfort zone. It's what I'm used to shooting.
0: Uh, Well, my last question, you know what it is. So I'm going (laughs) to ask you about uh, a photographer, but we we already have an idea, but uh, tell us about who your photographer pick is uh, for us this week?
1: Well, because I'm promoting my city of Vancouver, uh, Fred Herzog is probably the most uh, famous. I, even, you know, Ted Forbes, he said, hey, Take, if you can swing an interview or a photo walk with Fred, even if he doesn't, because he is a bit camera shy, meaning he doesn't really want to be interviewed. Um, he says, even if it's just a walk, he goes, I'll fly up to do a photo oh, walk yes. with Fred. Yeah. So I, I am working. I'm actually thinking of doing a documentary called Finding Fred. And me talking <laughs> to all his friends
0: oh, in the community that know that. who
1: he is. Yes. And have the story. And then in the end, who knows if I get to meet him or not. But that's like a long term. And you know what? Fred's getting up there. He's 87, maybe yeah. 88. Yeah. Still shoot. Someone just told me two days ago they saw him. Yeah, like, I- oh, hey, Fred was just here. And I'm like, ah, oh, I can't believe it. But Fred Herzog amazing street photographer from Vancouver, look at his pictures and then come to Vancouver, come find me and I'll take you to the spots where he's taken some of his uh, famous pictures. But I also wanted to give a shout out to, so I do believe in the old Vanguard, like look at the classics. Some of these new photographers don't know of any of the older guys. Mm -hmm. And I think even Ted talks about guys like Saul Leader and Fred Herzog that very few people know about. They kind of fly under the radar for the longest time, but but. It is good to study the greats, but you know, there are some modern, some of my favorite people that I follow on Instagram. So just go to my Instagram. I only, I make it a rule to follow less than 50 people because when you have, when you're following a thousand, you cannot give each image its proper respect and look and enjoy. So as much as I love to have follow everyone that, that I know, I don't follow my wife. I don't follow my siblings. I follow the creatives that inspire me. So when I wake up in the morning and I look through and I said, man alive, these guys are so fantastic. I'm not worthy, but it makes me want to go out. Most of them aren't photographers by trade. So uh, a lot of them are self-taught. So I will give a shout out to, um, um, what's his name now? I, I, uh, Ryan Takei. He calls himself Fraction. So he's yeah, great uh, a great yeah. photographer. He's a Toronto photographer. So props to another Canadian photographer. And also there's a guy, his name is Streetomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He does amazing stuff with shadows and light he's Ethiopian I think or we born in Ethiopia Massey, I think his last name I don't even know how to pronounce his last name first name is Massey, I think but same thing amazing I don't know his background or anything I don't know if he's a photographer but check out Street-O-Matic and check out Fraction so you got the old Vanguard Fred Herzog, yeah. Saul Leader, Cartier-Bressant, but the new guys. These guys are the new Brissants, the new Fred Herzogs. In 50 years, looking back, you're like, look at what these guys have done. So check out the new and the old.
0: And where can people go to find out
1: more about you? Well, YouTube. But if you want to see my actual pictures, I actually call my Instagram my professional portfolio. So if you want to see what I took 10 minutes ago, not 10 years ago and framed and laminated. But what I just took and I didn't uh, spend too much time thinking about it. Instagram is where I, you can see my evolution, my development of my style. And even I just switched to a new phone. You can immediately see that there's a bit of a quality difference. But my style has stayed the same. So Instagram and YouTube is where I would. And I, you know what? I should say uh, my blog to BigHeadTaco.com. So that's where I post most of my reviews. And on YouTube, the- you're also Taco. Yes, yeah, everything is Big Head Taco. Twitter, Big Head Taco. It's easier to find. All
0: right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Take. I really enjoyed having a chance to talk with you,
1: Buddy. Next, thank you so. I, I you know I just wanted to say your name. <laughs>
0: Buddy. And X.
1: I like how you roll your R. So, Buddy. Next, thank you so much for the invitation. I had a great time talking with you, as well as uh, uh, I guess your listening audience.
0: Thanks again for joining me. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin MacLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. The Candid Frame is a member of TWIP, a network of photo-related podcasts. You can find more great shows on your favorite topic by visiting ThisWeekInPhoto.com. And this is X, and this is The Candid Frame.